Great to have you along for the ride. Thanks a lot for stopping by. Really glad to have this man back. He's my brother from another mother. It is Kevin McGarry, founder and president of Every Black Life Matters. Kevin, how are you? Good to see you. Good to see you, Joe. Man, it's been too long, brother. It has been. We cannot wait this long uh, um, uh, to, to get together again. I know you've got a, a new book out. We'll get into this in depth in a second. It's called DEI in 3D and then a bunch of uh, subtitles thereafter. Uh, we'll get into that in earnest in a moment. I had to have you on, though, because there's so much angst and so much wrangling being caused by the far left in this country trying to divide you and me. You and I should not speak because we don't have the same ancestral background. That's their real belief. And we saw it come to fruition recently in this Jason Aldean um, song, Try That in a, in a Small Town. Yeah. For some reason, white liberals in America have decided that Jason Aldean was talking about black people when he was saying, don't commit a bunch of crimes in a small town. Right. How did you take that when you heard that was the controversy? Well, uh, you know, what, how I take it is, look, uh, if we try to look at America through the lens of, of principled, uh, moral uh, type of a lens, we're going we're gonna to really uh, drive ourselves crazy. We have to look at America and those those powers that be from a Marxist point of view. From a Marxist, Marxist point of view, if you're not a, a, a commie Marxist, uh, anything that you say or do is racist, white supremacist, uh, uh, somehow bigoted. And uh, essentially, though, this song is he's just saying, look, don't don't try this crap in small town America. We're right. you know, We're still adhering to American principles and values and morals and. Don't don't try to come in here and, and burn down our, you know, only convenience store for miles, uh, you know, like you did in some of these uh, black and brown strongholds across America. This won't happen in small town America. And some of the other things that he said and did was was perfectly reasonable. I mean, he's just he's just painting a, uh, you know, a picture, you know, really what it should do is just to incentivize us who are looking for a better way, like, maybe I should move to a small town. <laughs> no, no, well, it's true. I live in a smaller town. I'm north of San Antonio, uh, and we've got we've got people of all backgrounds here. This isn't a race thing at all. This isn't a color or ancestry thing at all. Yeah. This is, I don't want you to carjack somebody. I don't want you to, to spit in the face of cops and burn the flag in the street. I don't want you to uh, to go hold up the liquor store at gunpoint. There's literally nothing wrong with that, but but I, I listen, I read these lyrics many times. I, I'll be honest with you, I've not heard him sing it. I've seen a little bit of the video, but I didn't have the audio up. And there seems to be all sorts of races and backgrounds that are doing bad things in the video. Yeah. But he doesn't mention race, Kevin. No. He doesn't go there at all. But some white elitist group of of liberals have decided we can pretend this country music guy is talking about black people. And that's a win for us somehow. Why? Well, you know, again, so from a Marxist point of view, which the most of media and most of the pro- protagonists across the country and in, in government, they're, they're, they've already succumbed. Uh, you know, so they're fully conquered. They've been fully demoralized. They've gone through the, uh, the uh, you know, ideological subversion. So they're, they're done. Uh, they're Marxists and they're crazy. So the way that you continue the angst within these various communities is every little thing you want to continue to drive this narrative about, you know, how how uh, intolerant and how racist America is. The reality is, is the song had no fundamental problems whatsoever. I saw the video and the video really gave us a stark reality. Like, look, look at what happened in all these major cities. Oh, by the right. way, none of these people are held accountable for it. As a matter of fact, New York wants to pay them ten, tens of millions of dollars for the people who actually burned down, you know, parts of uh, Manhattan and New York City. I mean, so... The, <laughs> I, well, I, listen, Kevin, I want to get into that a little bit. Um, but first of all, whenever I have you on, some idiot sends me, me an email saying, I can't believe you support Black Lives Matter. No, that organization is not who Kevin is the president of. His organization is called Every Black Life Matters. 
But BLM, the organization, the Marxist group, the LGBTQ group that wants to um, uh, somehow disrupt the Western nuclear family, they rioted in New York and they got arrested and now they're all getting paid. You just alluded to this. Uh, fill in those who are watching and listening who might not understand. These, this group of people broke the law and New York City is paying them. Why? Yeah, I, wanna, I want everybody to really put their thinking caps on. Think back a couple years, uh, actually going on three years now. It was around three years this time. Uh, we actually had New York City, downtown Manhattan and a lot of other places downtown there that were being looted, that were being destroyed by a lot of people of a lot of different ethnicities. But but fundamentally, it was being destroyed by some people. These people said that, look, they shouldn't have been uh, handled the way that they were from the NYPD. So then they file a lawsuit. And New York now are paying each of these individuals uh, over $10,000. The total is about $13 million. Stunning. Uh, and, and they're using this roadmap. They're using this sort of uh, this, 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 this kind of lawfare scenario across the United States. So a lot of BLMers, uh, even with all of the havoc, they did not go to jail. I mean, these people still have a clean uh, criminal history, from what I understand, didn't go to jail and, 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 and are being paid for everything that they did, which was atrocious. And uh, and this is happening uh, city after city across the United States. And I think the reason why these cities are settling is, first of all, I think you got some demented people at the top of these cities who say, look, let's pay every, you know, antagonist organization we can because, you know, it's just they, they deserve it. But right. the other thing is, is that, uh, you know, a lot of these cities just don't want to have to go through, you know, multiple months of or years of court battles and they just pay them off. Yeah, but isn't this, Kevin, isn't this going to incentivize people to do the exact same thing in other cities now? Exactly. Exactly right. The next flashpoint is going to incentivize these same people. Look, we got paid last time. Why don't we go out and loot some more and burn down some more black and brown businesses? It's all good. We're going to get paid in the end. In a couple of years, we'll get, you know, this is how we make money. We'll make money here in the short term by looting, and we'll make money in the long term by getting a lawsuit. It's Kevin McGarry, founder and president of Every Black Life Matters. Get his new book. It's called DEI in 3D, and we will jump into that in earnest in a moment. What, what, what really bothers me, first of all, about the Jason Aldean song is that it, the only people who believe that it's racist are, in fact, racist people that think black people are only criminals. They, they Obviously, they're the ones that are projecting their racism on Aldean, who doesn't talk about race at all. And again, in those videos that we've seen, uh, he's showing all sorts of backgrounds and ethnicities doing bad things. Right. We just don't want you to do that in a small town. Right. What bothers me about burning down Minneapolis like they did three years ago because of George Floyd, 300 businesses mostly owned and operated by by uh, minorities yes. for, genera- for generations yeah. um, are just gone now. Good. Now they're looting the Target and they're looting the convenience store and the Target and Wawa and other convenience stores are saying, we're not coming back. Yeah. You burned us down. Why would we come back? Now you've got so-called civil rights leaders saying you're a racist for leaving the neighborhood. How do you win in that argument? Well, you, you win by just pointing out to the civil rights attorneys that try to bring up this 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 crazy argument that, look, we're leaving because we believe that we li- we, we actually thought we lived in a capitalist society where people would buy and sell goods in, in a free market kind of way. But we're not here to lose money. We're losing money in these cities where people just come into the store and walk out with whatever they want. And there's no consequence for it. So uh, we're leaving because of these commie practices that have been uh, really hoisted upon these cities, a lot of them. Uh, San Francisco has got notorious, got crazy problems. You know, Walgreens and, and CBS are leaving the city of San Francisco. So, I mean, this is happening across the United States. It's happening in Washington State and other places as well. So uh, the reality is, is that we really need to push back 
on uh, on people, and especially these commies. We need to call them what they are. Say, look, you know, you can be a commie all you want, but the rest of us, we want to we want to participate in a free market capitalist uh, type of an environment. Right. Not up for the commie. So you know. And who and who wants to go shop there if you've got to ask some guy to unlock where the razors are or unlock? I'd like some underarm deodorant. Can you can you unlock the plastic and take the take the chains off? Yeah. They, these companies are expected to lose billions of dollars in theft every year because equity or something. And if you lose money, that's okay. But if you leave, you're a racist. Uh, it, it's like it's like a never-ending cycle. I truly believe the good people in the black and brown communities that we're talking about should and can rise up against the minority of people that are causing the crime yeah. and tell them, not in my neighborhood, just like Jason Aldean did. Why, why can't they do that? They should do that. And just like Jason Aldean says, hey, look, you know, in a small town, you can't pull this crap off. Uh, and, and I think that more voices need to be, you know, vociferously vociferously uh, stated against this stuff when it happens in your city, you say, no, 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 not here. This is not going to happen here. This is not acceptable. And you should stand against it. You should hold the mayors and the city council and all the other folks that are in that city accountable for the kinds of crimes that are happening in and around the cities that make everybody unsafe. I'm going to say something controversial to some that are watching and listening, but I really don't care. I think it's a lack of men in these neighborhoods rising up and telling the 12-year-old, we don't play that game here. You don't do that. That's wrong. You've got to take care of your community. You've got to take care of your of your family. You got to take care of your neighbors. I don't know that there are enough loud male voices looking at these kids before they get to an age where they're they're going into the convenience store by the hundreds and stealing everything. We don't play this game. This is right. This is wrong. You will do what's right because you're not bringing that wrong to my neighborhood. Is there a lack of male fortitude in these neighborhoods? I get the feeling there is. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Joe. Uh, so here's the thing that I've been, uh, you know, really preaching for the past six to nine months. What occurred to me is that we are in a culture war, right? We're in a culture war, right? Everybody agrees. No doubt. We have a culture war. Now, the thing that you have to understand is that every single war that has been fought and won from, from the beginning of time has been fought and won by men on yes. the front line doing their job. Now, we're in a culture war. Where are the men? To your point, Joe, men need to take need to position themselves to the tip of the spear in culture, and need to be leading the the, the affront against the crazy. Yes, and saying, "Look, not not here, not not in my family, not in my community. We need to be protectors." And but you know, so many we're seeing a lot of women's groups out there in front. You know, they're putting themselves at the tip of the spear in culture, but very few men. Uh, so that is a real, real issue. If we're going to win this war, we yeah. need men to join it. We need men to get on the front line. We need men to take control over it and help us to resolve these issues. But government is basically giving men a pass. Spread your seat anywhere you want. Don't worry. We'll be the man. The government will be the leader of the household. That's really what they want. I mean, this is why you break down the nuclear family. You break that down, and then the government can be the higher power. It could be the man. It could be the provider. It could be all those things. And if you've got a bunch of crime, don't worry about it. We'll, we'll get you a check, or we'll give you free lunch at school, and you'll be fine. And this, this is about incentivizing men to go back and do their duty, isn't it? Absolutely, Joe. And, uh, and thank you for saying that. So many people are are positioning the government to be the overarching, you know, the, the, the God, the controller of what happens civically and everything else. And this is a classic Marxist move, right? You know, if you look, if you don't understand anything about Karl Marx, you understand anything about commies, you understand that, that you know, fundamentally they are an anti-God sort of belief system. They say, look, God doesn't exist, so government needs to take control over everything, you know, referring to, you know, everyday life. Right. Uh, and so this is exactly what's happening right now with a dearth of men 
that are fighting culture and with everybody sort of as a reflection, uh, reflexively, uh, you know, expecting that government step in and take take responsibility for these things. We're really setting ourselves up. And we need to have a backbone, and men need to be men again. It is uh, Kevin McGarry. Go and get his book. It's called DEI in 3D, Deciphering Designs, Demands, and Dilemmas of DEI. DEI is diversity, equity, and inclusion. Diversity is something that's somehow forced upon us when, when diversity should happen uh, naturally and organically. Um, yep. Equity is really socialism, is really Marxism, and inclusion is just... Let's throw that one in there to pretend like we're not including some people, even though we're actually excluding people through this DEI idea. T- yeah. Tell me why you wrote the book and what don't people understand about DEI? Yeah, so what people don't, so the, why I wrote the book is because there were so many platitudes. When you ask people about DEI, there's all this superfluous, you know, uh, sort of nomenclature around DEI. Oh, it's great, it's this and that. But when you dig down in details, you say, well, what, how does this, how does this manifest? within a workplace or small groups and how do, how do you see it benefiting? Right. Uh, everybody's a little bit tight-lipped. Uh, so the reality is, is that when you do the research and you actually dig down to the next level, and this is why I said DEI in 3D, 3D infers that you have a depth perception well above a two, uh, you know, a two dimensional plane, right? So we, we, we look at DEI with a depth perception well beyond the two, to, uh, two dimensional platitudes that are normally spoken about when they speak about DEI. The other thing, the other, it has two meanings. The other meaning is we're going to look at the designs, the demands, and the dilemmas of DEI. So everybody understands what it is. The re- the good news is, is this is not uh, authored from a right-left perspective. That dichotomy is out of this. Uh, okay. This we're looking at it holistically. We're trying to be prudential, you know, trying to be, uh, you know. Uh, prudential about how we go about re- deciphering whether DEI is good or bad or indifferent. The reality is, is that if you look at the the uh, the implementation of equity, and you you've already mentioned it, Joe, uh, equity is uh, Marxism. It it is commie. So if you if, and I tell business owners all the time, look, if you want to be a commie, that's fine. You can be a commie. We're in a free America. Right. But if you don't want to be a commie, guess what? You got to do something about the E. You got to do something about equity. Uh, replace it with equal opportunity. Yes. Maximize equal opportunity, and then you could fix the whole DEI conundrum. Other than that, if you just go all in with equity, guess what? It's it's a commie move, right? And and it's okay. If you're a commie business owner, great. Uh, Go for it. But you're going to lose your workforce. You're going to lose your business. uh, Everything's going to implode because guess what? Nothing that Marx has ever advocated for ever, ever in history has ever manifested to any degree of success. Never happened. You couldn't be more right. Go and get this book. Show us the book again if you don't mind. It's DEI in 3D, Deciphering Designs, Demands, and Dilemmas of DEI. I'll go out and say it. DEI is bad. So let me ask you this. Why exactly is it that it was, it seems to me, maybe I'm wrong about this, that it was so easy for businesses and cultures and communities to just shut up and accept DEI? Why didn't they fight back at all? Because equity, because equity sounds like equality? Well, no. So uh, remember, a lot of this happened after George Floyd. A lot of our right. current cultural chaos really, you know, accelerated after George Floyd, and then it accelerated even all the more after, um, you know, our actual president was kind of removed. So, so w- with the current guy in the White House, yeah. he, he already said, "Look, we have an all-government approach to DEI." He said this his first week in office, and. Uh, and so there you go. And now he's putting money behind all these things. And so now we have DEI everywhere. It is now pervasive. It's inescapable. Everybody is affected by it, which is why everybody needs to understand what it is, how it's affecting me, how it's going to affect me and what I can do about it. And that's what this book kind of walks you through in, in, in a very, you know, non, you know, apolitical, 
uh, right. kind of way, and it helps you to really understand what it is. Well, I think it's beneficial to do it that way because if it's a, if it's a conservative book, some people will be turned off. If it's a liberal book, they'll be turned off. Yeah. People need an explainer on what DEI is. I get the feeling, and, and one last question for you, if you don't mind. It's Kevin McGarry. Thanks for jumping on the chair today. Um, just one last question. I get the feeling that government has said, we now control more, we regulate more, we've gotten larger, we'll give you some more money but only if you do DEI. We'll give you a little more of what it is you want if you do what we tell you to do. If we separate from government, have lower regulation, smaller government, lower taxation, they don't have that kind of leverage. Did they use that kind of leverage to force DEI? Yeah, I think it was a combination of things, Joe, and I know you're familiar with ESG standards and yes. social credit scoring and all of this kind of stuff. So globally, that's the thing that's really driving uh, a lot of this, this DEI uh, around the world, actually. So uh, really, they're giving better scores. And when I say they, I mean the the actual trillionaire right. financiers and BlackRock and Vanguard and Pinnacle and all these other, you know, that are really, you know, pulling the strings money wise for a lot of these businesses across the United States. Uh, they basically said, look, you can come and have an unlimited flow of, of cash, Bud Light, and, you know, do these things. Because even if you take the hit with the with the culture there in America, we're going to make sure that we, you know, we 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 backfill you with with cash because your ESG score is going to rise exponentially as a right. result of embracing trans or doing this or doing that. So a lot of these businesses, they in the in the natural, it looks like, hey, this is really chaotic. Why would a business do this? But in in, in actuality, they're looking at their ESG scores and the adoption of DEI and actually embracing it to the degree that they are. It, it, it fundamentally works out better for them on that end. Go to everyblm.com. Get his book, DEI in 3D, Deciphering Designs, Demands, and Dilemmas of DEI. Kevin, thanks a million. Let's not be strangers. Let's uh, let's get together more often, okay? Yes, Joe, absolutely. I look forward to getting with you after you read DEI in 3D, and come have me back, brother. All right, brother, we will do so. We appreciate you. We're back after this. Stay right here. All right. This is The Joe Pag Show. Thanks for hanging out tonight. We appreciate Kevin coming on. We also appreciate Kay coming on. We'll make sure we get those up and running tonight on Rumble. Rumble.com slash Joe Pags. That's Polo. That's Sam. That's Carrie. I'm Joe. See you tomorrow. This is the Joe Pags Show.